Today is National Orphan Awareness Weekend. Um, so across the nation, churches are kind of taking a break um, from what we would normally call just a strong theological weekend. And we're going to talk about orphan awareness this morning. Um, certainly something that is scriptural, uh, but that we don't really build uh, a series around it. We don't build um, really even a, a whole message around this topic, and we should. Uh, so we're going to take uh, this weekend to just have a strong focus on one of the biggest things that we were mandated to uh, do, and that was to uh, take care of, of, of orphans. By definition, the orphan is a child without a parent. And as you know, that, that can be a host of scenarios, almost a, an endless amount of scenarios. And so um, I've got with me uh, three guys this morning who are heavily involved in this area. And so we're just going to have a conversation this morning and involve you guys in that and then end with ways that we as a church can get more involved in this aspect of, of our, our communities and uh, so this is a very informal conversation, and, uh, but I, I want to set, set this up for us. And I want to just kind of start by giving you a few stats just to kind of set, set the tone in your mind of what's going on. But there are approximately 400,000 children nationwide that are currently in foster care. Okay, 400,000 just in our country. And so um, you, you can imagine what the worldwide amount would, would be. And then um, on average, a child will wait eight years to be adopted by a family. So they're in foster care for long periods of time. Almost a third of adopted children um, are spending at least three years in foster care prior to adoption. And then in Arkansas, 5,000 kids are currently in foster care, and there's only 1,600 homes that are fostering in the state of, of Arkansas. So I, I want to set this up on, on a biblical story, and I don't know if you guys remember this story or not, but there's a great story in Scripture about Mephibosheth. Okay, I want you to turn to somebody and say that fast three times, okay? Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, yeah. And so Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. Jonathan was best friends with David. He protected him many times from Saul's hand, which was Jonathan's own father. And the story comes that there's this battle that has happened. And in this battle, both Saul and Jonathan are, are killed. And Mephibosheth is just a child at that time. And this is horrific news for Israel. Both the King Saul and his son have perished, and in a panic, they have grabbed Mephibosheth, and they are, are, are running with him. And in so doing, he is dropped, and the Bible tells us that he becomes lame for the rest of his life, and he hides out in this, in this place that is known to be isolated. And King David literally has to ask and inquire about an heir, and that's how he finds him. And so it's years and years later that value is brought back to the life of Mephibosheth. And I want to take that and plug it into our conversation this morning as, as we start and say that there's a lot of times one of the worst things probably as a church when we start thinking about things like orphans is that um, we're, we're going to drop some things. 
It's not intentional. I think sometimes we get busy. Sometimes we get in a cycle or a pattern. Sometimes as a church, we find a specific niche that we enjoy, and we stay in that niche for years and years and years. And in the process of just staying in a sweet spot or a comfortable spot as a church, we forget entire groups of people who are in need. And so I want you to think about this story as it relates as to our conversation that we're about to have this morning in that as a church, we don't want to drop anybody. And when kids get dropped, kids get wounded, and sometimes for a lifetime. And it's a very, it's, it's a very sad thing. It's a disturbing thing. And I just kind of want to start um, by saying that I believe personally that the church has almost leaned too much on outsourcing the ministry to orphans, that we're relying so heavily upon parachurch organizations to get the job done, that the only thing we're now doing is, is giving, and we're no longer involved on the front lines of fostering, adopting, making sure that children are taken care of, Okay. So I'm, I'm going to lean my chair in a little bit so I, I can see these guys. Um, but on my left, for those of you who, who don't know these gentlemen, let me in, in, introduce them to you. This is Matt Cleveland. Um, his wife is our Little Life pastor, and Matt is in executive leadership for the Arkansas Sheriff's Ranch. And he can talk a little bit more about that in just a, a minute. Then we have Chris Insel. Chris Insel and his wife, Angie, um, we often call Angie the candlelight lady because that's how everybody knows her because she sings so well at candlelight. Nobody cares about Chris, but um, Chris is is a therapist. He and Angie both, they have, well, together, I started to say, yeah. He and Angie, they are married, and they have adopted two children. And um, so that's why I have him here today to just kind of speak about his heart about adopting and then Cody and Megan Skinner just returned from Serbia. Can we give it up for those guys today? They've just spent two weeks in Serbia, and um, we're going to have him talk about that another Sunday. But um, they have fostered children in our state and now are in the process of adopting a child. And so I just kind of want to open this conversation up with these guys, and I want to start um, by just giving us Psalm 68.6. This, this is the theme verse for Orphan Awareness Weekend, and this is, is what it says. God sets the lonely in families. God sets the lonely in families. And so just like the Bible story I just shared about Mephibosheth, I want to talk a little bit about what that looks like. And so, Matt, I want to start with you, and why don't you just tell us um, what the Arkansas Sheriff's Youth Ranch, how, how they are supporting foster care in this particular um, group of people. Can you do that? Yeah, <clears throat> Um, the Arkansas Sheriff's Youth Ranches was founded in uh, the 70s, and at that time, uh, the foster care system um, wasn't really much of even much a thing. Uh, there, there wasn't a, a system in place for for kids that were um, were left out, um, falling through the cracks of society. Um, Arkansas still is a very rural state, but at that time, it most of the counties were very rural. So sheriffs would be on the front line and uh, they would get a call when somebody had a kid that nobody knew what to do with. A child who'd been abandoned, uh, abused, neglected, um, 
they would, the sheriffs would get a call. Uh, they would, um, sometimes the child would wind up going home with the deputy or, or sleeping in a jail cell that night. Um, so the sheriffs was like, this is not right. So they uh, heard about an organization in Florida and in Alabama called Sheriff's Youth Ranches and went down and investigated those programs and brought that model back to Arkansas, um, founded it as a separate um, nonprofit organization, and since then uh, we've been home to and helped raise over 2,000 boys and girls. So we really feel like we're standing in a gap, um, or helping children who are, could fall through a gap in society. Um, we're not a place for, for troubled kids, kids that have um, been in trouble with the law or anything like that. We get really, really good kids um, who just come from the most terrible situations you can imagine. What, what what age groups are you guys, do you guys have there? Typically, we take kids that are ages 6 to 18. Um, we also, if they're part of a sibling group, we'll take them as young as a baby. I mean, we had an 18-month-old last year who was a part of a, a sibling group of four kids. Um, and we right now, we've got a 19-year-old in college. So um, it really runs the gamut uh, as far as ages. But more than likely they're part of a sibling group. About 75% of the kids that come and stay at the sheriff's ranches are, are with a, at least one brother or sister. Okay, and the kids at, at the sheriff's ranch, are they up for adoption? They are, some of them are. Um, it, it's, kind of, it's kind of strange. Mo most of them could be available for adoption, but um, that's another thing about some of the kids that, that come to the ranches. A lot of times they're older teens they don't really want another set of parents. They still love their parents. Um, they've got a, there's a lot of emotions involved in that, but um, they don't necessarily want another adopted family. They just want to get through high school and get out on their own. Um, so that's one of the things I feel like we do well is, is foster independence with them. Um, they can graduate from a cottage setting, uh, living with a set of house parents and seven other boys and girls, or boys or girls in the house. We've, we've got the houses broken up by boys and girls. So we've got three cottages of eight boys, two cottages of eight girls. So we've got capacity for up to 40 to live with us at a time. But once they graduate from that, uh, that cottage setting, we try to foster sort of an independence uh, in them. We've got an independent living house where they can go and stay. And um, that's where the, the young man who's in college right now is staying. He's got his own car, he's got a job. Um, we're but he's got two younger siblings that are there. One of them was, was actually just adopted by um, two of our staff members, um, and they're having a gotcha party today uh, up, at, up at the ranch um, for that young man. Um, wow. But he's 19, his sister's 16, his brother's 12. He doesn't want to leave them yet, mm -hmm. and he's not really able to get out on his own and be independent yet, so we're, we've got that sort of uh, that transitional period with him. Okay. Matt and I have talked about this uh, on several occasions, but I don't know if you guys picked up on that, but basically what he just said is there's an 18-year-old who lives there, and this means that this kid was never adopted. So can you talk about that for just a second? Like you, you have kids that come through, are never adopted, and they stay at the sheriff's ranch through college? We would love for them to, actually, because we know that that time period between ages of 18 and 21, kids can really mess up their lives because they're technically legally an adult, but um, so they can go out and get a credit card. They can go out and make some really damaging life choices that will follow them throughout their life. 
So we really want to keep them um, until they're age 21 or, or until they they feel comfortable being out on their own, making responsible life choices. So that's that's one of the things we do. We, we bring in lots of resources for them from the community. We, we bring somebody from the bank in to help them get a, a checking account set up and teach them how to ma manage their budget monthly. You know, we, we help them get a job. Um, we want them to all to go to college, but college isn't the best thing for every kid. So um, we work with, uh, with companies around uh, the Batesville area to try to get them plugged in into some sort of an apprenticeship program or a vocational program. We just want whatever's best for that child. And every child is different. So, um, but yeah, we would love for them to stay after 18. A lot of our kids though, they get what we call 18-itis. And it's, you know, their birthday, midnight on their birthday hits. They made a call to their boyfriend, say, come pick me up at midnight, I'm, I'm gone. Um, and they come to us two years later and say, that was the worst mistake I ever made. I, I had everything that I needed right there. And, uh, and so they Some of you guys made that same mistake and you weren't even at the sheriff's ranch. <laughs> yeah. Um, thanks, Matt. Um, th this question is really for all of you. And I, I know we have several in our, our body that has been adopted or have experienced foster care. But why, why, don't, why don't you guys help me communicate what is going on emotionally for a child in foster care? Like, what, what, what are you guys seeing emotionally rep, rep, represented from a child who may not even cognitively understand what's going on, and may, maybe they're old enough to really get it, to understand that now suddenly home is no longer home, and that mom and dad are no longer going to be present like, like they were. Can you guys, I know that's a that's a tough one, but can you can you help us understand what's going on emotionally there? Um, honestly, I don't I don't think I could. Uh, it's a I have I've I've witnessed it and I've seen those kids work through those emotions, but um, every kid is different. Uh, every every reason for why they're there, every trauma that they've gone through is is not the same, and it's. Uh, to, like, I mean, even witnessing it and seeing it, them being in my home, I don't, I don't think I even understand it. I don't think I really grasp it, you know, because uh, it's it's a lot, especially for a kid. You know, we've had toddlers, and you're, I like, I just think like I'm a I'm a grown man, but I don't know if I could even work through the emotion that you're working through. Um, you know, that's one of the things people get. They ask us a lot, like, you know, or they say like I could never adopt or. or foster because, you know, I couldn't, you know, I get too attached, and it's, it's one of those things, like, yeah, you're going to get attached, but you're an adult, these kids are working through emotions you don't even understand, and yet, you got to work through that, you got to get over that, because you got to work through that emotion, you're an adult, you know, and so for them to work through that, and, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, just a lot there, I mean, I, like I said, I don't even think I fully understand it, or I witness it, but I don't understand it. And just from my perspective, I, being an adoptive father, but also working in an organization where we treat a lot of, uh, of young men that have been relinquished and, and then maybe adopted or have been in the foster care system for some time, there's, there's such a, this negative message that they believe about self that I'm unlovable, I'm unwantable, I'm not worthy of love and belonging, 
I'm alone. And, and so they're facing many of those, those core beliefs about self because the people that, that love them or that are supposed to be that provider, that, that the nurturer, that love, that person that loves them were unable to, to, to do that for them for whatever reason. And for every kid, it's different. You know, maybe it's a substance abuse issue with mom and dad. Maybe it's uh, unhealed wounds and trauma, you know, from that mom and dad have, and it's playing out and it's just continuing generationally through generation through generation. And so it's, it's really trying to overcome those, those negative cognitions, those negative messages that they, they believe at their core. Um, and, and what, my role is as a therapist is to try to help them better understand their story and help them find worth and value and reduce the shame, you know, of I'm unlovable, I'm unworthy, I'm not enough. Helping them understand, hey, that wasn't on you guys. That wasn't on you. That, that's not your fault. And so just trying to, to get them through that, that process, you know, just um, therapeutically, uh, it, relationally, being there, being a support, it's just, it's a, it's a lot. And then if you, if you tag on the, the neglect that often comes with it, the, the physical abuse, the sexual abuse, the emotional abuse, there's, there's many layers, you know, that, that a lot of these young people are, are just really struggling with. And then it plays out, you know, in their day-to-day life. Um, and so it just continues to repeat the cycle, almost like this pattern of self-sabotage. And so helping our, our young people break those patterns and and really know who they are in Christ. I mean, I really think that's, that's the key. So, We see a lot of, of both of those things. Every child is different, um, but we also see the cycles that are playing out in, repeatedly in, in generations. Um, the state is wanting to put children into family situations. Their first priority is to put the child with another family member somewhere, but a lot of times in those situations, there's not another family member because that whole family has been plagued with abuse, with um, substance abuse, sexual abuse, emotional abuse throughout, throughout the generations. So th- they don't know another way to, to move forward in a family setting. So, um, but we've, we've had kids that have come to us, um, some of them are angry, some of them um, just could not wait to get out of their parents' house. Others are heartbroken because they're leaving the only thing that they've ever known. But because it's the only thing that they've ever known, they don't have hope. Um, they don't trust anybody. They, um, so for the first couple of weeks that they're at the sheriff's ranch, they don't trust our house parents. They don't trust anybody that's there. But after, usually about a couple of weeks, three weeks to a month, um, those children realize, okay, nothing bad has happened to me the entire time I've been here. I've gone to school every single day, uh, and, and I'm going to go to school tomorrow. It's just sort of an expectation. Um, they're like, you know, I'm, I've got to make my bed every day. I didn't ever have to do that at home, um, but my house is clean. Um, so they see their eyes are really opened while they're at the sheriff's ranch to a new way of living, um, and it teaches responsibility. It teaches, um, you, you know, self-worth. Um, but, you know, it's just a range of emotions from the kids the Kids when they get there. Sometimes it's angry. Sometimes it's, it's relief. We've had children who uh, about 100% of the kids that are there with us right now are there because of substance abuse in the home. Um, their parents can't pass a drug test. They, uh, they got picked up on drug charges, and they, they can't pass a drug test. They've tried. They, they go 
you know, they're, they're with us for three months. They'll go to court. Parents can't pass a drug test. They'll go six months, nine months. Then the, the parents will terminate their parental rights because they can't get clean. Um, and you just can't imagine the, the type of trauma that, that puts on a kid where a parent is constantly picking drugs over their child, but they can't. They can't kick it. It's, it's not a, I don't know, it's, it's tough. It's, it's very difficult to have these conversations when you hear about children dealing with adult circumstances in years where they're supposed to be growing ac academically. And um, when school is supposed to be the main drive for them, they're worried about pro being provided for and safe home environments and not being abused and, and et, 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 et cetera. So very, very tough. Cody, let, let me circle back to you for just a minute. Do you feel in fostering that you've ever had a moment where God used foster care to show you like a biblical principle or, or concept? Uh, yeah. One of the, there was, there was a situation. Um, we were, first of all, the biblical concept is grace. Um, I think we all we all kind of get a little bit of glimpse of that if we look at it from our own perspective of like where we were, where God met us, and then how we were brought into that and the grace that he showed us through that. Um, but then I feel like because we read the Bible a lot of times, like a yearbook, you know, we look for where we're at in there, in that story, and then we, we forget about other people in the, in the world that are also in that same story. And so there was a... They, they called us, um, there was a baby, wasn't very much, wasn't very old, that was abused physically, um, broken bones, um, and, and they called Megan, Megan called me, and I was with a friend, and I said, you know, we just, I just need to pray for, we just, I just want to pray for this baby, and, and a healing, and just that all that he's going through right now, I mean, it, it's, you know, weeks old, and going through this. And in that moment, I don't know if you ever had that experience where you're like praying and then you have a dialogue with God in the middle of a prayer where it's, I'm praying for the healing of this child, but he's telling me, you also need to pray for his parents who caused the abuse. And for me, it's like, I don't, I don't understand that love. I don't understand that unconditional love that you have for them, that your grace wants to meet them, even in this circumstance, because like I'm, I'm human. So I'm thinking I could care less about them right now, you know, so it's like. You know, and trying to, like, fight that. And so, and then having to be like, a, you know, pray for them. And, and having to pray that, God, I, I pray that, I pray that you, you, you just, God, I just pray that you, you meet them where they're at. I pray that they come to know you, you know. Whereas 10 seconds before that, I was thinking, I want them to meet you, but not how, you know. <laughs> so, so you have that, you know, and you're fighting. Let's move on to Chris. Chris. Um. <laughs> So, but I'm just saying, like you, you fight that, you fight that world emotion. You fight that, um, you know. We we sometimes can't think of how we can give grace to people like that. But you know, the whole point of foster care is reunification. You never go into it thinking that you're going to keep that child forever. You're you're just providing a safe home while their parents are doing what they should be doing in order to get better, in order for these children to go back into that home. And I think of one thing that we fight a lot is we have parents who have their kids taken away and then uh, we as the church you know we even we kind of demonize that 
you know, like, oh, like that's the unforgivable sin. Like, you had your kids taken away, you know, and then we just kind of, like, shun them off, and we don't include them in anywhere. We don't, we don't, we're, we're not Jesus to them at all. And so we, and, you know, it's hard, but that's what we're called to do, and it's, and, and fostering, that's what the goal is for them to go back to that. Um, you know, me and Megan have done a lot to where, and it doesn't work every time. You know, every situation is different, uh, but oftentimes we try to build a relationship with their biological parents in order to show them, because hurting people hurt people, and like we just heard from, you know, compounding through generational curses and things like that, they just don't know what family looks like. They don't understand what it's supposed to look like, and you have people who, you know, kids that were in the foster care system age out of the foster care system, and then their kids get put in the system. And we wonder why that happens. Well, it's because they never had a family to begin with, and so we just keep compounding that. And then, so we have to, we, that's really where the church comes in. That's where, that's where we're supposed to do, you know. Uh, I think James 1, uh, 37, where it says, uh, religion to God, our Father, um, is pure and faultless as this, and is to take care of the orphans and the widows, and to keep ourselves um, from being, you know, overcome with the world. And, and I think if you take care of the orphans and widows, it's easy to not be corrupted by the world because you're so grateful where you're at and where things could be. Um, and that's really how that scripture is played out in your life. So, you know, you're, back to your original question, the concept of grace, um, just being able to see that and to really kind of offer grace to people who, before we started fostering, I would like not offer that to them. So I was a bad Christian, if you want to know. Can I say something real quick? Sure. Just uh, Angie and I, we adopted our, our girls through private adoption and not through the foster care system. So it was a little different. Um, but just to kind of go along, something you said, it, it's just I had lunch with our, our, our youngest daughter's birth mother um, a couple of weeks ago. And um, it was so humbling because... This lady knew where she was at in life and knew that um, she was in a very broken spot. She was in a very challenging spot. She was in a place where she could not provide for our little girl. And, and so when we're caring for the orphans, and, and I, I think there's, there's just a lot of uh, eye-opening that takes place. And like you were saying, when we're, we're doing the things that God have called us to do, um, that corruption of the world, that, that jadedness that we often struggle with, that, that, that um, judgment that comes from us, um, I think oftentimes that, that kind of diminishes it because we're able to interact. Because these people are real people. They're just hurting. They're struggling. But, but meeting with that birth mom and just seeing her and, and how she interacted with our daughter and just hearing her story and her drive for hope was just so compelling and, and, and it's so humbling and so I don't know something you said there just really made me think of that moment and that that, that situation so thanks uh, I saw that this week that you guys did that can you tell me like why why did you choose to keep those moms involved like what what's what's the the pure motive right there to to keep them involved to keep them in the picture I guess for us um one, the research shows that, that the more open we can be with adoption, the more healthy it is for the child. Um, that's, that's just really that's where the research is starting to go. Um, 
But I want my girls to know their story. The good, the bad, the ugly. I mean, that gives them the best opportunity to, to work through that, their story, and to have a better understanding. I want them to know what their birth mom, what their birth father, their birth family. I want to know that, that background for them, and I want them to be able to have the answers. And if I just close it off, that, that information wouldn't be possible. And so for me, it's, it's that drive to give my daughters the best chance, you know, to, to be healthy and to be whole and to see those generational curses be broken. Um, because we, that's what oftentimes our, our guys in foster care, our guys in this system, they, they, like Cody was saying, and I think what I heard Matt say a second ago was there's a, there's a system that's, that's broken and just the, that curse just plays out over and over and over and over. And we as the church, we have an opportunity to step up and to help these families break those curses, whether it's helping the families that are the mom and dad's trying to get their kids back, whether it's adopting a young person, whether it's contributing to the sheriff's ranch or other organizations that help. We, we as a church, we have an opportunity to do something big. And so I don't know if I answered your question, but... Yes, yeah, so. um, that, that actually segues in. I got, I got two final questions for Tom's sake. And Andy Stanley says there, there are five words that can change anybody's life, and that's, um, yeah, how can I help you? And that those five words can, can literally change the trajectory of somebody's life. And so if, if we think about this as, as a church, and I've, I've communicated that, um, and I, I don't have time to go in, into the history of it, but churches have, have always been the hub of, of, of helping. That's, that's really just changed over the past 50 or 60 years. Um, and uh, to be very crass, the, the church really got lazy. And um, they became very, very consumer-oriented in that church became a place where I became served. So I, I come to a service to leave feeling better about my life or where I am or be inspired to make my life better. And we became focused less and less and less about these huge mandates um, and since we, we, we don't have a culture of, of, of guilt here, we, we don't ever try to, to try and, and get anybody involved by guilting somebody. But to put this in, in motion, it may be that uh, there, there are people here who missions to you is very, very low on, on, on the priority list. It's just that stuff that happens far away. You might throw a $20 bill at it occasionally, but missions to you is so far away. And I think ministering to the orphans or to these parents who are making these very hard choices to relinquish their rights, those individuals we kind of look at as people who are way over there and occasionally we can help them. And so I want to bring this back to our church is what I'm saying and go, how, how can we help you? How, how can we help the orphan as a church? Do you guys have any ideas for that? Like when we, we look at our at collectively, as a church, how can we help the orphan? One thing is, um, you know, if you if you can foster, that's great. But but not everybody can, and not everybody should. It's right. just, that's right. I mean, you know, that's just it. But um, our church, our church family, like for me and Megan especially, it was uh, 
they rallied around us. It was people in our life groups. These people weren't even in our life groups. They just knew what we were doing, and they just wanted to help, and they just came to us. And, um, you know, we had, you know, we're taking in a, a sibling group at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning, and, you know, and then everything explodes in our house because it's just filled with diapers and wipes, and then people are coming over while we're, you know, just to see how we're doing. And that was the best thing they could do because, I mean, our house was destroyed, <laughs> you know. And, mm-hmm. and so they were coming over and just watching the kids while we were like, you know, so we could get a shower because we have small babies that, you know, and you don't get paternity leave in foster care. It's like all of a sudden, you know, you're not getting any sleep, but you didn't get the 30 days, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's been great to have our, our, family, our church family rally around us. And I think mm-hmm. if you just, if you know someone who does it and just anything, just come by, just see how they're doing. Um, can you, you know, if you can do a Walmart run to get diapers because, you know, that, that's great too. I mean, it's just the small things. It really is. Yeah. I, I think, you know, a lot of it is, uh, like, like Cody said, not everybody I, I feel like is called to foster. Not everybody's called to adopt. Um, I don't know. I, I think, there's definitely that. You need to pray about that. You need to see if that's where God's leading you. But there are other ways to, one, foster, one, adopt, or two, adopt, but also um, giving. You know, there's, there's so many organizations that, that do well and do, it, do things very well, like the Sheriff's Ranch. Um, they, they do things really well, and they're giving so many kids an opportunity. So giving, prayer, um, and then just... Just finding organizations that that can help and, and volunteering, I think that I think that could be something that could be so help, useful. So, I agree with all of that. <laughs> um, but yeah, giving is huge for us. That's the only way we operate. We're ninety to ninety-five percent privately funded through donations. We could not do what we do without donations. Um, uh, but also, we need people. We, we're we're actually down one set of house parents right now, so we've got we had to shift some kids around to to different houses. We need to hire a set of house parents. So if y'all know somebody who, uh, you know, a retired nurse or, or somebody who's just looking for a change in life but really loves kids, we need somebody to come in and and be house parents for us. So yep. uh, or just rallying around people that are already doing the work, supporting them any way that you can, um, because. I mean, foster situations happen because there's broken people out there that make bad decisions, and it's your next-door neighbor. It's not mm-hmm. somebody far away. It's yes. drug, drug addiction happens at every socioeconomic level in our country, mm-hmm. um, every background. It, it doesn't know racial divide. Um, it, it can happen to anybody. Yep. Okay. I want to go out on a limb here. I, I was not going to do this, but I want to. I don't, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but... If you have adopted or fostered or been in foster care or been adopted, would you stand this morning? Can you do that? Wow. Man, can we put our hands together for these incredible people? Man. Thank you so much. Oh, wonderful. Thank you guys so much. Um, I want to end and, and just... Uh, pray over our, our church and um, this big topic. I, I, I believe that this is definitely a mandate that we need to get involved in, is we're looking toward next year and how we can do it. And these guys have said this so well that 
Not everybody in here is going to say, yeah, sign me up. I'm going to foster. I'm going to adopt. But everybody here can do something. And so uh, this morning, as you leave, our friends from the call are here. They have a table set up. They've got some information. So please just grab a brochure, something to think about, something to pray over. Take it, put a magnet on it on, on your fridge, walk by it pray over it. And there's also a sign-up sheet that if you want more information, because you may be here today and go, you know what, we've prayed about fostering, or we've prayed about adopting, and we just want to hear more about that, uh, that we're, we're going to host an informational meeting uh, meeting with the, the call. And so um, if you would just sign up for that, you're not committing to anything except an, an invitation. And so feel free to do that. We'll have it here at the church. And uh, we just want to kind of take this to the next place for those of you who might be prayerfully considering some of those things. But as a church, I certainly want us recognized as one of the churches in our area that have this on the forefront of our mind. Can we commit to that? Amen. So I want you to stand with me today. I just want to pray over this topic. And uh, we'll end with just a little bit of worship today. Father, we love you.